Leviticus 23. This evening we are going to begin a study, a series of studies, two, that's a series, uh, on the Feast of Trumpets. I thought, well, you know, we could, we could do it in one week. Now here's the thing, trumpets, as far as it is designated to us in the, in, in the book of Leviticus, it's only three, chap, uh, three verses long as far as the explanation of trumpets. And then it's not much of an explanation. So I thought, well, you know, in fact, it's really only two verses of Scripture that tells us about the Feast of Trumpets. Whereas, if you remember, through the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread and, and uh, uh, First Fruits, as well as Pentecost, uh, there were numerous explanations, numerous instructions given to the Jewish people about keeping those particular feasts in a certain way. Then we get to the Feast of Trumpets, and we only have two verses really here in Leviticus that tell us about it, and we're going to spend two weeks on it. So that's a pretty interesting thing, isn't it? There's a, there's a lot to say about it, because as we begin the studies of, of the fall feast, which are trumpets, um, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, uh, Sukkot is ta- Tabernacles, and, and they all fall in, in, in the time of October, September. As a matter of fact, uh, trumpets and uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot have just recently been celebrated in Israel. And um, I'll, I'll mention trumpets here in a moment. I believe it was on uh, sundown of the 13th of September was the, was the first of Tishri in the uh, Hebrew calendar. So this was just, what, about a little over two weeks ago. So those three have already been uh, celebrated at least in the year 2015. But the significance of these three feasts have a lot to do with Bible prophecy today. In fact, there were a lot of people, if you were kind of into the YouTube thing about September 23rd, because they considered that that day was going to be the day that uh, something was going to happen, something major. A few things did happen, you know. The Pope came and visited the United States and visited with, what's his name? Obama, yeah, visited with uh, President Obama. And uh, a few other things happened, you know. Uh, What's even more interesting about that is that a lot of things have been happening, and if we're not paying attention... We're going to miss some things. For example, how many of you saw the blood moon on, on, uh, on Sunday night? Man, I tell you, what, a, what an amazing thing. What you were seeing was biblical. What you were seeing was God, His timetable, His calendar. What happened after that blood moon? Because usually the, the blood moons, when they do happen, and I'm not going to go into a great detail about it tonight, but what happens when the blood moons appear... They usually appear, if not always, on one of the feast days of Israel. And when they do appear, they appear with some sort of event that may happen. 
What has happened after the blood moon this week? Well, all of a sudden, Russia gets back into the picture where we thought, well, you know, the Soviet Union back 30, 40 years ago, they were going to be kind of, uh, you know, in, into the Bible prophecy thing. And then, you know, that kind of waned. Then, then you know, when the, when the wall came down in, uh, uh, in uh, East uh, Germany and, uh, uh, and all, and, and Russia became, instead of the Soviet Union, became a, a series of, of, uh, of uh, states, you know, of, of uh, Russian states. And all, well, they, they kind of had lost, uh, lost a little bit of power, you know. At that time, the United States of America was, was, uh, was a power to, to reckon with. But how things have changed over 20 years. And now we, as the United States of America, are at our very weakest. I could go into a lot of scriptures about that that are tied into the Jewish festivals as well. But we're, we don't want to, you know, that'll, that'll be for another time. What has happened, though, that now Russia, through Vladimir Putin, has, has arisen again. And because I think with Putin, you have this, this you know, this thing about, you know, there's this viciousness that if you see your enemy down, you start moving. You know, it's it's... It's that kind of thing. And what we've seen is that they now are trying to dictate what's going on in, in, in uh, world geopolitical uh, issues. And so now they are dictating what's happening in Syria. The Russians are back in Syria. That is significant when you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we're going to study Ezekiel as soon as we're done with our feasts, okay? So we are going to be dealing with it uh, in, in a very short uh, period of time. So these are all tied into all of these feasts that we've been seeing, especially in the fall, the fall feasts. But I'm excited to talk about trumpets and even, you know, the Feast of Trumpets over a period of two weeks. Of course, I wouldn't mind at all if the Lord would come between now and then. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't mind at all. That would mean that, you know, we don't know the day or the hour, but the Lord does know it, and it could be at any moment still. Because we are around the time of trumpets, of uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, or tabernacles. We're right in the town, but we, we could be off by a few days, a few minutes, or maybe a year or so. And we're going to talk about how the timing is so important because of the timing of Jesus' death at Passover, his burial at unleavened bread, and is rising again at first fruits. Happened just as, you know, at the very same time. So how can this not happen that the coming of the Lord for the church, because now the church is established because of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit upon the church, that the timing is going to be just right, but we don't know what day or the hour it is. So we just keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's why we need to continue to live our lives for the Lord and to live it rightly, you know, and, and pay attention to the things that are written in the scriptures about how we're to live our lives. So anyway, I could just go on and on and on about that, but we got to get into our study. So let's look at these three verses of Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25, as we study the feast of trumpets. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... So that's, that's just the introduction to those next two verses, because the next two verses are, tell, are what tells us about trumpets. 
The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, the number seven, of course, is a very important number in prophecy, has been, always has been, we've been dealing with it from the very start of our study in the feast. In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. That's it. That's all you get about trumpets in Leviticus 23. All right, shall we go on to the next uh, feast? No, we can't do it for two more weeks. Because there's a lot to say. Back on the 13th, Lashana Tova is, is the word of saying... Have a happy year in Israel. Lashana Tova. They call it Rosh Hashanah. But the specific name that we're going to deal with is Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah. I'll explain the names Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah in just a moment. But first... Let's review just a little bit on the first four feasts that we have studied so far. The first three feasts, as I've already mentioned, the spring feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, all pointed to the person and work of Jesus Christ in his first coming. All of them. And by the way, all of them were fulfilled. Fulfilled by Jesus, the Passover lamb. And that's what I'm going to say. Passover pictures are Passover lamb, Yeshua, Jesus, who was crucified for our sins, on the cross of Calvary. Then the Feast of Unleavened Bread pictures our sinless Savior who was buried in a borrowed tomb at the end of Passover. And then came first fruits on the first day of the week after Passover, the very day that Jesus rose from the dead, giving us full assurance that one day too we will be raised in glory. Those are the first three, fulfilled by Jesus. And then the only summer feast, Shavuot, what we looked at last time, Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, pictures the body of Christ, the church. It is the only feast where leavened bread was used, and not just one loaf, but two were made, because the church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. The two loaves waved before the Lord, coming together into one body, and the leaven is not so much a, a picture of sin here. It is a picture of the characteristic of what leaven does, which it causes to grow. And to grow. And of course, the church has grown since the day of Pentecost. Now, just as the first three feasts pointed to the first coming of Jesus Christ, these last three feasts will point to events that lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not to mention that as the first three feasts focused upon the nation of Israel, so shall these last three feasts. Israel is as much a part of what we see because the feast, by the way, the feasts were given to Israel and given to them for a reason. So these are Israel's feasts, but they pertain to us as well. And this is why it's going to take us two weeks to get through this one, because of how it pertains to us. We'll see a lot about that today, a lot more about that next week. So let's consider these names, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is, just literally means the head of the year. Rosh means head, 
and Shana or Shana is the is the year, or Hashana is the year. So the head of the year. In traditional Judaism, Rosh Hashanah is, is celebrated as the Jewish New Year's Day. So this these uh, would this would uh, in fact be the religious uh, New Year. The holidays observed on the first two days of the Hebrew month Tishri. T i s h r i. If you want to write it down, Tishri. The seventh new moon of the year. So again, remember the number seven. Very important. The seventh new moon. Every month in the Hebrew calendar begins with a new moon. So. The seventh new moon of the year, which, which this year, by the way, as I said earlier, fell on Sunday, uh, September 13 at sunset, and ended Tuesday, September 15 at nightfall. Now you say, that's two days for the, for the feast. It is celebrated today in, the modern, in modern Israel, two days. But in fact, it was really only a one-day holiday or one-day feast. But today they celebrate it two days. Uh, there's... Certain reasons why it's not, not that important for us today. But Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of a 10-day period. Now this is interesting because those first two days, and I think this is one of the reasons why they do celebrate in two days, because you get at least two days to celebrate, uh, you know, to make a loud noise and uh, noisemakers and trumpets and shofars, you know, doing all kinds of noise, because that's what it says, the blowing of trumpets. And I'll explain why it's about making noise here in just a moment. But it, it, it marks the beginning, though. It marks the beginning of this 10-day period of prayer, self-examination, and repentance. Repentance. Which culminates on the feast day called Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement. In effect, the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. The, the most religious, the most holy day of the year. And those ten days, the ten days are referred to as Yamim Noraim. Yamim Noraim, which means the days of awe. The days of awe. That's an interesting statement about those days. In other words, it's a day of seriousness. You know, when we worship the Lord, we say we worship Him because He's an awesome God. And, and, and so our, our worship has to be a serious kind of worship. He's an awesome God that demands our sincerity, but it also demands our seriousness before the Lord. So those ten days are referred to as Yamim Noraim. Nora like N-O-R-A-I-M. Yamim like Yam. Yam, Im. Yamim Noraim, if you're interested in the, uh, in the Hebrew transliteration. The days of awe. Or they're also called the High Holy Days. The High Holy Days of Israel. And again, those were just celebrated very recently. Very, very recently. This, this month, as a matter of fact. Rosh Hashanah also commemorates to the Jewish people the creation of the universe. The creation of the universe. And by the way, the feast is never called Rosh Hashanah in the Torah. It's never called that in the Torah. So it's not the biblical name for the feast. The, the one that we 
can say is, is pretty much the biblical name is Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah. And it literally means the day, Yom is day, the day of the awakening blast. Uh, that's as literal as we can get with that name. It is the day of the awakening blast. And of course the blast will come with a trumpet. Primarily with a ram's horn, which is called a shofar. Shofar. So more literally, the name given in Leviticus 23, verse 24, and I want, I want to read it to you because it says here, I have to get close to my Bible because it's real small letters. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, that's Shabbat, uh, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. A memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. That phrase itself in the Hebrew would be Zikron Teruah Mikra Kodesh. Zikron Teruah Mikra Kodesh. The reason I'm bringing these up is because I've, I've, I've defined some of these terms already for you in the earlier, uh, in the earlier studies. Uh, for example, Kodesh is holy and Mikra is a convocation or gathering. But before it, Zikron is a memorial. And Teruah is the blast or the sound or the noise. That's what sets Rosh Hashanah off when it comes, the people make loud noises. And in, and in fact, it's okay that they do it in, celebratory, in a celebratory manner. A new year. God has given them a new year to worship Him, to praise Him, to get to know Him, to get closer to Him. That's why the next few days, the next ten days are so important that they get to know Him real well. Because they would want their whole year to be spent in service unto the Lord. And, and so... This is Zikron Teruah Mikra Kodesh. Already this phrase gives us an indication. Now listen carefully. This phrase already gives us an indication that this feast is going to be related to what is called the rapture of the church. And we will, mark, uh, um, uh, we will make the connection soon enough. I get excited because I, I want to make the connection right away, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I, I just don't want to do that. So, but, but think about the, 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 the terms. A zikron is, is a memorial, but it means a remembrance and a marking of that, of that day. The teruah is the blast of a trumpet. And then a holy convocation is when the trumpet blasts, there's a gathering together. You, you see where we're at? Okay, so I'm, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to do it anymore until later. So this feast now, <clears throat> this feast has other names. We need, to, we need to deal with each of these names. They, they, they are very important for our understanding of Yom uh, Teruah. Uh, the, the other name is Yom Hasikaron, which you've just heard what Zikron is, is a memorial. So this is the day of remembrance. Yom Hasikaron is the day of remembrance. And I believe it's pronounced Yom Hasikron. Not with an A, but, it, but it's in there, but it's not pronounced. Yom Hasikron, the day of remembrance. According again to Jewish tradition, the people are to remember to blow the shofar, the ram's horn, or the teruah. Well, the ram's horn is shofar, but the teruah is the sound. To coronate God as the king of the universe. 
And I don't know if you've ever heard a lot of Jewish prayers, but many times when they begin their prayers, they begin with uh, uh, beseeching God, the King of the universe. So it is something that they always remember in their prayers. Uh, The blast of the shofar is meant to jolt us. And I say us because it's it's not really going to be just them, but us as well. But the blast of the shofar is meant to jolt us from our sleep that we might remember who we really are by remembering that the Lord is our King. So if He's our King, then we have to remember who we are. We're His subjects. We are His servants. We're His people. Israel is to understand that and know that. But so is the church. Okay? But it's this other name that seems to best describe and identify the character of this one singular feast that seems to be so mysterious because we don't know much about it. And that is the name Yom Hakese. Yom Hakese. Yom Hakese. The day of hiding or the hidden day. Let, let me just throw you a quick little hint. Jesus said, No man knows the day or the hour, but there's a day, and it's hidden. If you don't know where it is, you just got to be ready for it. Okay, you got that? What do we know about the rapture of the church? We don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And it's been promised. Jesus himself promised it, that he's coming. He said, don't, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. And he says that, by the way, John 14, verses 1 through 3. So that's the promise of Jesus, to gather us. And you see, I'm already getting ahead of myself. Already, the hidden day, the Feast of Trumpets is considered the hidden day. It's sometimes called the mystery of the hidden day. And keep that word mystery in mind because it does play a part in a lot of our understanding of the Old and the New Testament together. Getting to the understanding of what the Old is in the New Testament, the light now that God gives for us to reveal things that are hidden. And, and so it's called the mystery of the hidden day, and rightly so, since not much is known about the Feast of Trumpets as far as the Scriptures are concerned. I mean, you can go through all of the traditions. Now, I mentioned a lot of tradition already, didn't I? But you can go through tradition, but, but you have to go to the Word first. And you have to go to the Word always to get what it is that God is trying to teach us from it. So it's not about building tradition, it's about knowing why it's so mysterious. So the term Yom HaKeset is derived from a Hebrew word that means to conceal, to cover, or to hide. Now I want you to consider this. Every day during the month of Elul, Elul is the month right before Tishri. So 30 days before Tishri, the date of the blasting of the trumpet. Every day during the month of Elul, E-L-U-L, a trumpet is blown to warn people to turn 
back to God. Now, I want to tell you that's 29 days. Because on the 30th day of Elul, the day preceding Rosh Hashanah, it's silent. The trumpet is not blown. On the 30th day of Elul, the day right before Yom HaKese or Yom Teruah, or the Feast of Trumpets. Silent. And this is because much about Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah is concealed and shrouded in mystery. So you have 29 days of warning to turn to God because the day of judgment is coming. Can you see the picture? And then all of a sudden there's a day of silence. Now, what do you do on a day of silence when you've been warned 29 days, but on that 30th day, you don't, you don't hear anything? And you're awaiting what? The trumpet blast. Isn't it interesting how things are built in to not only the tradition of Ju Judaism, but into the Word of God itself, as you're going to find out in just a moment. This mysterious aspect of the feast is actually indicated in Scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 81, verse 3. Psalm 81, verse 3. Now, I'll tell you right now that in many modern translations, you will uh, find a, um, a phrase, full moon instead of new moon. But the translation is new moon. New moon. Psalm 81, verse 3, it says... Blow up the trumpet in the new moon. Now, that doesn't mean go take it out there and put some dynamite under it and blow it up. All right. Now, this is King James, and I, it, you, you have to kind of, kind of learn how the, the English has, has kind of evolved here through the ages. But to blow up, in essence, is the direction. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon. In the new moon. In the time appointed on our solemn feast day. Well, that is what day? The new moon is the very first day of the month. And in this case, it would be Yom Teruah. The inference here, though, is that the new moon is covered or concealed. You can't say that about a full moon. There is an inference that it is covered or concealed, which is, by the way, substantiated by uh, certain targums. Now, targum is a rabbinic paraphrase of the text. So they have analyzed the, the phrase new moon to understand that the new moon is, in fact, concealed. Because that's what they look for when the first day of the month comes. They, they wait to see when they see even the, sl the, the slightest sliver of light on the moon. When you see that slightest sliver of light, they have to have two witnesses to say and, and to pronounce that that is the new moon. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's interesting that it was hidden. It was hidden. Now, I'm going to tell you one reason why these things are hidden this way. Because first of all, a lot of what is hidden is not just hidden from us. I mean... I'll tell you why things are hidden from us in a, in a little while. 
But the, the, the concealment, I think there's a, there's a tremendous strength to this thought that, that the, the concealment, the hiding of things, is in fact to hide things from the adversary, Satan. Especially as to the arrival of Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah. For this is what we know. What do we know about Satan? What did Jesus teach us about Satan? Well, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says that the thief cometh not but, to, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So he, does, he only comes to, to destroy. And then consider that the enemy also comes to confuse. The enemy, the enemy is a great confuser. He likes to confuse people, and he would, he would like to confuse the, 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 his enemy, which is us, the believer in Jesus Christ. He wants to confuse the people of God. Paul points that out in 1 Corinthians 14.33, kind of, kind of just, uh, in a way, because he says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God's not the author of confusion, but who is? Well, we obviously know that it's Satan. Satan's a confuser. He not only accuses the brethren, but he confuses the brethren. And because it is also the day that leads to the day of judgment, Yom Kippur, then it is symbolically hidden from Satan as he did not know or understand the plan of the cross. Think about that for a moment. Did Satan really understand the plan of the cross? Well, let, let's, let's, let's listen to the words of Paul for just a moment in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8, because he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. By the way, there's that word mystery. Mystery is something that is hidden, but in, in the church it is something that is going to be revealed. But it says, we speak the, the, the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. There's, there's again a, a little strengthening of, of that word hidden now in the, in the Greek, but, but related to the one in, 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 uh, in the Hebrew, which means to conceal or to cover. We speak the mystery or the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And then it says in verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. And that's not just dealing with the princes of the world as far as men over nations. That's dealing about principalities and powers. So, which none of the princes of this world knew for, had they known it, listen, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what the plan was all about. See, they don't know. So God knows how to confuse the enemy. <laughs> and has reasons to do that. For the sake of his own people. And for the sake of his church. But if there's a passage that captures the understanding of the importance of the hidden day, it's in Psalm 27. I want you to turn to Psalm 27. And I want you to begin to see that as we go through a lot of scriptures in, in, in these next two weeks, this week and next week, as we go through a lot of scriptures, I want you to realize the connections that there are to The feasts to our salvation in Jesus Christ 
to the terminologies that are used for us to see the pictures, not only in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what I, what I mean by that is the pictures that deal with darkness to light. Darkness to light. Darkness to light. These are the things that when we study the Word of God, we're looking and we're finding and we say, whoa, that, that relates to something I was studying in another book. You, I, I tell you what, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. What do you find? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but then it tells us that the earth was without form and void and darkness covered. Why? To show us what he came to do. For in the next verse, he said, light be and light was. This has been his whole plan. For he knew where we would be by the time man would come about. And we would be enveloped in darkness and yet he said, but I'm going to give you light. And he, and he gives us, you know, John 3.15, he talks about the Mashiach. He talks about the seed of the woman. But when he prophesies him in Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walk in darkness shall see a great light. We, we can't miss tying all of these things together. This is what makes it exciting about the Word of God, isn't it? So here in Psalm 27, I'm not going to start in verse 1, but I'm going to come back to verse 1. But look at verse 3. It says, Though a host should encamp against me, you know, David is saying, Even if I have an army that's encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. In spite of everything that we go through in this life, every trial, every circumstance, every uh, tragedy, every burden, every affliction that we may go through, every struggle, every every temptation as well. Whatever it is, one thing have I desired. In the midst of all of this, it is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If that is not on the heart of every believer in Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. Because this world doesn't have what we want, and it doesn't have what we need, and it doesn't have anything that's eternal. For in the time of trouble, now look, listen to what he says. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Hide, conceal, cover. He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Well, we know who the rock is, don't we? And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And I thought about that. You know, now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies. And I thought of the words of Jesus when he said to his disciples and he said to us, lift up your heads 
Keep looking up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. And he said that when he was speaking about the times in which we're living today. Lift up your heads. Keep looking up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. Now, even the very first verse of this psalm gives us an indication of the time and even of the feast, if you will, for the blowing of the trumpet in the concealed and covered new moon. What is it? Darkness, right? It's darkness. But in Psalm 27, verse 1, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then he describes those troubles as we read. And anytime we, we deal with troubles and trials of that sort, being surrounded by enemies, to us, almost immediately, we, we can kind of consider that it's kind of dark. But the Lord is my light and my salvation. So of whom am I going to be afraid if he's my light? in the midst of the darkness in which I am living in today. So let's, let's try to answer this question. Why is this feast a mystery? Why is this feast a mystery? As I said earlier, all the other feasts have very clear and precise instructions as to the preparations for each of them. You know, I mean, we, we saw how specific God was at Passover about... The, you know, the lamb and the preparation for the lamb and, the, you know, and everything else that went into that. And as well, unleavened bread, you know, man, don't make any bread with leaven. You, know, you can't do that. You know, da, 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 da. And you just went on and on and on. I mean, do this, 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 observe these things, observe that thing, and so on. But the Feast of Trumpets, how many instructions are given to us? How many verses are needed for the instructions? Just two. And again, just look at verses 24 and 25. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath? Okay. In other words, you shall have a Shabbat. You, have, you, know, you set this day aside. A memorial of blowing trumpets. A holy convocation. That's it. Oh, one, one other thing. Don't do any servile work, which is what all the other feasts tell you. Don't do any servile work. Uh, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So that's it. Doesn't tell you what kind of offering, just an offering by fire unto the Lord. Ya vamos. Here we go. Connect that to Numbers 29, verse 1, because Numbers 29, verse 1 also gives us instruction in one verse. Numbers 29, verse 1 says, And in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing trump the trumpets unto you. <laughs> That's it. Now, why is this feast a mystery? Why is there a hidden day? Why are there hidden things? 
Well, there's really only one reason why there are hidden things in the Scriptures. Only one reason. That we might search them out. Now, there will be some things we'll never know until we get to heaven. But outside of that, why are we to search things out? So we might search them out to understand them. I I like that the Lord does that. Because if everything is handed to us in a silver platter, we won't do much with it except, you know, to say, well, take it for granted. You can't take the study of the Word of God for granted if you've got to search things out. So these hidden things are like, like the parables, for example. The parables that Jesus taught. In a word, this is what Jesus said about them. He said, you know, it's to teach the simple and to conceal the truth from those who consider themselves prudent and wise. I don't, I, um, there's none of you here that applies to this, so I, I, I'm safe to say this, but, you know, I've talked to some people who actually have told me that they know pretty much everything in the Bible. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like uh, you, you try to talk to them about a certain subject or whatever, and they, they'll come and say, oh, I already know that. Oh, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that. But their lives are a mess. That's why I say, see, there's none of y'all, because y'all are stellar students here. But, you know, who knows it all? I think Pastor Tommy asked that question this weekend. You know, how many of you know everything about marriage? That's why he said, well, if you know, nobody raised their hand, which was good, because nobody knows everything about marriage. So that's why you need to come to the marriage seminar uh, in October, so. That's because we don't know. We don't ever know everything. But we need to search things out. Isaiah 5, verses 20 and 21. Look at, look, at the, look at the company that you keep when you think you know everything. Look at Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Do you know that that is the hallmark of the days and times in which we live? And it's not a good hallmark, by the way. People today are living their lives as if, they're, if anything that's evil is really good and, and look at the good, you know, well, it's, it's all evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness and, and they, put, they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But look at verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's where we are today as well. You can't tell anybody. Well, you can try. I mean, you can, you, uh, you know, you, you get people sometimes when they're at their worst, when they're at the bottom of the barrel in their lives, and they've already gone through this whole thing about saying, you know, I know everything. Okay, but they don't know everything, and then they come, to the, they come to grips that they don't, and they need help. That's when you can actually tell them about Jesus, and you can tell them what, what they know. And, and, and you have to tell them, look, don't, don't ever think about Jesus the way you used to think about Jesus. If you didn't need him, now you need him like, you never needed them before. But I mean, everybody knows better than us. But we're still learning. And we're still growing. But the difference is, we know that the Lord loves us. 
And we desire to love him more than we did the day before. And we want to be better at what we know and what we do. But we do that humbly. We don't do it arrogantly, you know. So, so just as the Lord conceals from us other things, do you know that the Lord conceals the day of our death from us for the most part? He conceals the day of our death because, because if we knew that we were going to die at a certain day and at a certain time, man, we would live a terrible existence between now and then. I mean, for the most part, because you know the flesh gets in the way all the time. So that's why he conceals the day of our death. The only one that he really didn't conceal that from is Jesus. Jesus knew exactly when he was going to die, exactly to the minute and to the hour and the place and all. The Lord conceals to us the days of trouble. If he didn't conceal the days of trouble to us, man, we'd be living in dread every moment. Every moment. But he's also concealed the day of Christ's return for his church. But I want you to follow me on this. Turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And verses 36 to 39. 36 to 39. Matthew 24. Now remember that Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, those three Gospels speak about uh, the end times, speak about the second coming of the Lord, as well as there are certain allusions that are made. I'm not saying illusions, allusions, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, not I-L-L. Illusion, like an illusion, you know, like a an imagination is not, an illusion is, you know, speaking of something that is being talked about, but kind of, kind of hidden too. So that's, you know, the rapture of the church as well. So he's talking about the end times, in other words. So he gets to this passage here in verse 36, he says, but of that day, an hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. So a lot of people use this to say, well, you see, the rapture of the church, you, you don't know when the rapture is going to happen. Well, of course not, because Jesus said, we don't know the day or the hour. That's why we've got to be ready. But they use it against those who believe in the rapture before the tribulation period. Uh, but anyway, but here's the thing. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I mentioned this, I believe, this past Sunday, but it might have been, been earlier than that. But we are living today in the days of Noah. There's no doubt about that. So here it says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day, or until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now listen carefully. Noah enters into the ark, and then verse 39 says, And they, the people who were eating and marrying and giving in marriage and all of them just on the earth, and knew, they knew not until the flood came. They didn't know anything. They, it, they didn't know what was happening. Should they have known? Well, certainly, here's this man that's like 500 years old. Been building an ark for 100 years. A preacher of righteousness which tells us that he was going around telling, listen... God's going to come and judge this world because if it's in a mess. And, and so, you know, the ark's going to be available. <clears throat> and if we remember our study in the book of Genesis, the ark had enough room for the animals, but it also had enough room for people. 
The door is wide open, and, and, but one day that door is going to close. And that's what happened. When Noah entered into the ark, what happened that moment? God closed the door. Noah couldn't close it. God closed it. So they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the, the coming of the Son of Man be. Those that are living their lives just going from day to day, doing things without any knowledge of God, caring no, uh, nothing about it, just going on, you know, or living a kind of a religious life, but nothing that's truly connected by the Spirit of God to God, uh, you know, our hearts to Him and our, their hearts to Him. Uh, not, there's no connection there. There's no spiritual life. You know, people, there's a lot of people go to churches, they're not, they're, they're, they're just not there. They don't have the Spirit of God in because they haven't received Christ. So what's going to happen to them? You jump over to Luke in 17, Luke 17, verses 28 and 29. Listen to what, what, what Jesus said. Likewise, also as, a, as it was in the days of Lot. Right before this, he says what, what he said about Noah. And then here he says, likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they built, they planted, they builded. But the same day. Now, again, the inference here is that, you know, they're doing all of these things, but that very same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. They didn't know. It was hidden. The day that Noah and his family entered the ark, the judgment came. The day that Lot was taken out of Sodom and entered into Zoar, because he not only exited Sodom, but he reached Zoar. That was the rescue that was the snatching away. That was the taking out and placing into another position so that God could destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what he did with fire and brimstone. It rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Why would the Lord conceal the actual moment of the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? We have to realize that these two days, the days of Noah or the day of Noah going into the ark and the day of Lot leaving Sodom and entering into Zoar. These two days are actually compared by the Lord to the time of the return of Christ for his church. That's what we're going to be looking at more of in detail next week. But for now, the understanding is that that moment was hidden and it was concealed. No man knows the day or the hour. But I can tell you this. If you are a student of the scriptures, you know the season. If you're a student of the scriptures, you know the season. What have we been talking about with the feasts? The feasts all deal with seasons. The spring planting and harvest, the summer harvest, and now the fall, the fall rain and harvest. So it brings us back to understand that God has his own calendar. 
See, we're trying to base things on the best that we can. And I, I, I think a lot of people are sincere in trying to say, well, this, is, this could be it because we see certain signs happening. Yes, that's good. Let's keep looking. Don't give up. But the fact is, don't put a date on it because God's the only one that knows. And that's what I want to I emphasize here before we close. And, and, and that is that the Lord has His own calendar the foundations of which began in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what it says. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So God is establishing now His calendar, His calendar. And then you you can jump over to Psalm 104, verse 19. Because now, of course, now the the feasts have already been established. But nonetheless, listen to what uh, is written by the psalmist. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. So even after the feasts have been established and the calendar has been established, it's always good to be reminded of the fact that God's calendar is what's important here. And then you can look at Psalm 136, verses 8 and 9. It says, The sun to rule by day, uh, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. Again, just a constant reminder that God's calendar, based upon his creation, is what really matters here. But it really, really matters here for us today Because of one thing Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 25. He says, and there shall be signs in the sun. By the way, I don't want to discount the fact that there have also been solar eclipses in recent uh, days, months, and years that are also falling on certain times and seasons. And in the moon, you just saw it Sunday night. Almost all of you raised your hands. And in the stars. And upon the earth, the stress of nations. With perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. The sea and the waves, though those things are happening. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of climate things happening. But we've got people more and more we're worried about climate change than sin. And people that are supposed to be focused on sin talking about climate change. Back when we were studying the book of Revelation, I told you, you know what? God talks about climate change. He's going to burn things up. At the same time, what happens? A hundred pound hailstones are going to fall from heaven. God says, I'm in control of climate. I do a pretty good job when I, when I want it. I'm, you know? Climate change. We're more concerned about climate change than getting our... our, our Pastor Saeed out of Iran. Isn't that stupid? 
Pardon me now, I'm getting a little personal here. But it is. Oh, and by the way, there, there, <laughs> uh, this is a crazy, stupid world. What's the big thing now? There's water on Mars. <laughs> what did I say about the enemy confusing? What did Jesus say about deception? Getting everybody's mind off of what really matters. Eternity. Eternity matters. This world, the things that we have around us, the things that we see, it's all going to burn. Just read 2 Peter chapter 3. Just read it tonight. Read all of 2 Peter. Read First and 2 Peter. Read Hebrews and First and 2 Peter. Read First John, 2 John, 3 John. Read them all. Read, read everything. Keep reading. Don't stop reading. All right, we've got to finish. The, the, the blowing of trumpets on Yom Teruah. After the blowing of trumpets through the, throughout the previous month of Elul, you know, the, the warning month right before, as warnings to turn back to God except for the last day, which is silent. The trumpets of Yom Teruah are blown at the onset of the darkness of the new moon. Before the day and hour is witnessed by two witnesses to declare that the concealed moon is now re-emerging and can be announced. And you know what they would say? The moon has been born again. That is their terminology. Now read that a little bit more into John chapter 3 when Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus thought that Jesus was talking about getting back into his mother's womb. Nicodemus should have known better because he should have known that when you say something about being born again, you're talking about going from darkness into light. And unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So he uses that terminology which was, un, which was supposed to be known. That you're dealing with a new moon. That you've gone now from darkness into light. So let, let me then prepare you now for what, what we will be looking at in greater detail in our next study of the Feast of Trumpets. We're, we're going to get into the nitty gritty now. Okay, This was all just introduction. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Because, in fact, when we started our study in the feast, we started with this passage. Paul says in Colossians 2, 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or, notice this, in respect of a holy day or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ." The shadow of things to come. The new moon is a shadow of things to come. So I'm re-emphasizing that by bringing it up again. It is a shadow of things to come. We're going to get out of this darkness into the light of the glory of God.
the body of Christ, do you understand that? It's not just talking about that from the standpoint of an individual going from darkness into light. Because if you'll go back, if you'll go back one chapter, it does. In Colossians 1 verse 12, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet, which means He's made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice, saints in light uh, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Interesting word, translated. It could also be transported. (laughs) Conveyed is another word that some translations use. But it is a very clear picture that this is also kind of connecting our understanding that one day we will be together conveyed, transported, transformed, or translated into the kingdom of light. Got it? Oh, one more verse. In whom we have redemption. In Jesus. So now we're you know, talking about the, 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 the change in our lives. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we don't want to forget that. Then, of course, we come to the classic passage of the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll give this to you very quickly, but there, I want you to notice a couple of things because we're going to be starting with this next week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's a noise. So that's part of the noise of Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets. Shout uh, with a voice, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The trumpet of God. It's God blowing the trumpet. And we're going to talk about the different kinds of trumpets and the different kinds of, of uh, sounds that are, that are made for each uh, uh, season that trumpets are blown. But we'll do that next week. But notice it says, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. All right, a trumpet is blown, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You got it? Got the picture? All right, now look at this. Then we which are alive and remain, remaining on the earth, we who are alive, as we are right now, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, snatched. Harpazo is the word in the Greek. Snatched away. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, we only heard the trump of God and then the dead in Christ rose. Now, turn over, if you will, to first... Uh, oh, by the way, comfort one another with these words. It's a comfort to know that the Lord is going to do this with the church. I, I still don't understand how so many people are saying, oh, listen, you know, the church is going to go through the tribulation at least halfway through. Or actually, going to go through all the tribulation, but the Lord will, you know... No, you don't understand the tribulation. That's the problem people are having here. And they don't understand the importance of the seven years that Israel has to go through. Not the church. Israel. They're his people still. And he's going to get them ready for his return when he comes to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. Not in Rome. <sighs> okay. First Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. It's something hidden, but it's going to be revealed. Okay, I can hear you all saying it in your minds, but I don't hear you. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
Sleep is, is a reference to being dead physically. So we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's very similar for Thessalonians. Now, notice this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's fast. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Now, many people, and we're going to talk about this next week, but a lot of people are very confused about the last trump because they keep thinking, well, isn't that one of the trumpet's judgments? No, 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 no. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to set the record straight about trumpets. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We already know that. And we shall be changed. Now, here's the thing. I should wait for next week. No, I won't. Okay. So, in a moment, it took an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall, and we shall be changed. Well, if there's a last trump, that means there's a first trump. So, in effect, the first trump is what causes the dead to be raised in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then the last trump is being referred to as those who shall be changed. Two trumpets. By the way, we're going to talk about two trumpets in the book of Numbers next week. Two trumpets. And there's a new name for those. I'm just all excited. I want to do it now, but I just don't have time because time's run out. All right. So, Yom Teruah. The day of the awakening blast. And who will hear it but those who have kept their hearts, their eyes, their minds, their whole lives separated from the world and separated unto Jesus Christ? Because who else will hear it? When you compare 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, It will be those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Paul had to say to the church in in Thessalonica, he says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's been happening because some of you think that because some of your loved ones have, have passed on that they missed, you know, the catching away. No. Certain things have to happen. That's what 2 Thessalonians is about. Certain things have to happen before all of that happens. So we're in those days. So that's exciting, isn't it? Isn't it exciting to be in the days that, that we might even be able to see Jesus face to face? I think it's exciting. And I think we need to be ready. And you know what? Even if we're, if we're, um, even if we are, are watching you know, even if we're vigilant, I think the trumpet blast from God is going to wake us up. That's why it's called an awakening blast. Wake up! I'm coming. All right. You ready? Okay, five of you are ready for the coming of the Lord. All right. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much. Because your word is, it just amazes us. It encourages us. It challenges us. It humbles us. I pray, Father, that it will humble us to the point that we get out of the stands and onto the field. I pray, Father, that we get off the fence and into the battlefield, knowing, Lord God, that you are there with us. And as David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And in the day of trouble, there will be only one thing that I desire, and that is to be, to dwell in your house forever. To be where you are. That's what we look for. That's what we await. So we thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, Lord, to begin this study and the Feast of Trumpets uh, this way. And, and I pray, Father, that next week we can wrap it all up in a, in a good package to remember, Lord, what we're to do as we look for the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We bless you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shall we stand? All right. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you.